Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Welcome to Israel and You, and today in our podcast program, we're going to talk about uh, a phrase you've probably heard frequently in the last year or so, and the phrase is Christian nationalism. So we're going to talk about what is Christian nationalism, and I want to tell you a story about three Christian nationalists who destroyed the world entire. History does not repeat itself, but historical patterns do. And the rise and fall of Christian nationalism is a pattern worth examining. And so I, I want to examine this pattern today on the program. What is unnerving about this repetitive cycle is that few Christians have bothered to notice. You would think we would have enough perception to connect the dots, which clearly show Christian nationalism is not remotely Christian. In an interview with uh, the evangelical flagship publication Christianity Today, Paul D. Miller, professor at Georgetown University's School of Foreign Services, defined Christian nationalism this way. Christian nationalism is a political ideology about American identity. It is a set of policy prescriptions for what the nationalists believe the American government should do. It's not drawn from the Bible. Christian nationalism believes the American nation is defined by Christianity and the government should take steps to forcefully keep it that way to sustain and maintain the Christian heritage. I think that any kind of nationalism in its purest form, says Miller, is religion. It is idolatry. That's true of Christian nationalism. It takes Christian symbols, rhetoric, and concepts and weaves them, weaves them into a political ideology that in itself is a form of idolatry. And so I would add to that, you cannot legislate morality. The only person that can change a human heart is the person of Christ, the Holy Spirit working on, on human souls. And in so many pulpits across America today, my, my, uh, my great fear is that pulpits have become bully pulpits of protest. And I've seen so many pastor friends turn their pulpits, instead of preaching the centrality of the gospel, they're turning their pulpits into protest, into bully pulpits. And the scripture says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. And scripture also says it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the spirit. So we can't through political fiat and force uh, try to legislate morality upon any government, upon any nation. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so I want to share with you a story today about three Christian nationalists in history that, that destroyed the world entire. And, and uh, that, that phrase comes from the rabbis who teach that when, when Cain murdered Abel, he destroyed the world because God says, uh, your brother's bloods cry out to me from the earth. And so when Cain murdered Abel, he murdered generations 
of people that would come through the line of Abel. And so these three Christian nationalists were responsible for the murder of 60 million people. And whenever Christians have mixed religious piety with secular political philosophy, it never ends well for Jews. If Christians, particularly in Germany and Austria, had not embraced the idolatrous cult of Christian nationalism, the murder of six million Jews would not have occurred. And so this is a story of these three Christian nationalists, one inspiring and mentoring the next, and their connection to each other would lead to the mass genocide of Jews in the name of Christ. So the first Christian nationalist that started the ball rolling was German Lutheran pastor Adolf Stoker, and he served as court chaplain to Kaiser Wilhelm I from 1874 to 1890, and according to one historian, was the most influential Lutheran clergyman for pastors in the 19th century. And Pastor Stoker is also known as the Christian leader who inspired anti-Semitism in Germany. He founded the Christian Social Party in Berlin in 1878 to rally Christians against Jews whom he proclaimed were not worthy of the love of any Christian and for one to truly follow Christ, they must hate Jews. And in a speech in 1879, Stoker said, if modern Jewry continues to use the power of capital and the power of the press to bring misfortune to the nation, a final catastrophe is unavoidable. He was projecting a fear upon the Jewish population that, you know, if you don't change your ways, you're all going to die. In another speech, Stoker said that for Christianity to defeat Judaism, it must become a political force. Here's what he said. I found Berlin in the hands of the progressives who were hostile to the church and the social democrats who were hostile to God. Judaism ruled in both parties. Notice that he's making the Jews the culprit for what he saw deteriorating in the country of Germany. The Reich's capital city was in danger of being de-Christianized and de-Germanized. Christianity was dead as a public force. Stoker encouraged the hope in the Christian masses that a future German liberator would arise who would eradicate Jews from German society. And so Christian nationalism in Germany, in Stoker's day, he inspired a war of Christians against Jews. When Stoker died in 1909, Lutheran pastor Johannes Hostletter wrote, Nobody has so lastingly influenced the rising generation of pastors and has put his mark on them for decades to come as he did. Unfortunately, Hausletter was right because Pastor Stoker's lasting influence had already spread to neighboring Austria where conservative intellectuals and clergy inspired by Stoker's cultish mix of piety and politics formed a Christian nationalist political movement in 1891 patterned after Stoker's Christian Social Party actually giving it the same name. Christian Social Party in, in Vienna. The leader and co-founder of Vienna's Christian Social Party was devout Catholic Karl Luger, a man deeply influenced by Stoker. And Luger uh, was the second Christian nationalist in our story. 
So Carl Luger mixed long-standing religious anti-Judaism with economic anti-Semitism and easily ignited Christian tribalism in a war against Jewish elites. After Luger was elected as Vienna mayor in 1897, Emperor Franz Joseph, repulsed by Luger's brand of Christian nationalism and radical anti-Semitism, refused to confirm him. However, Pope Leo XIII interceded and forced the emperor's hand to allow Luger to ascend to power. In an 1899 speech, Luger declared Jews were launching a terrorism worse than which cannot be imagined over the masses, and that he had the calling of liberating the Christian people from the domination of the Jews. In 1907, Luger's popular speeches caught the attention of an 18-year-old art student who had moved to Vienna to study landscape painting. The artist embraced the ideology of the Christian Social Party and would later say that Luger was the greatest German mayor of all time, who birthed in him a hatred of Jews which he had never known before. Later, the young artist would say, when I arrived in Vienna, I was hostile to both. The man Luger and the movement, the Christian Social Party, seemed reactionary in my eyes. My common sense of justice, however, forced me to change this judgment in proportion as I had occasion to become acquainted with the man and his work. And slowly my fair judgment turned to unconcealed admiration for Luger and the Christian Social Party. For a few hellers, I bought the first anti-Semitic pamphlets of my life. And wherever I went, I began to see Jews. And the more I saw, the more sharply they became distinguished in my eyes from the rest of humanity. In addition to their physical and cleanliness, you discovered the moral stains of this chosen people. And after being radicalized by the Christian nationalism of Karl Luger and embracing his strategy of blending Christian piety with nationalistic cultish fervor, the artist from Vienna would, in 1925, record his political strategy to lead Germany in a book entitled My Struggle, in German, it's Mein Kampf, in which he proclaimed, hence today, I believe that I am acting in accordance with the will of the Almighty Creator. By defending myself against the Jew, I am fighting for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was the artist who was influenced by the radical Christian nationalism of Pastor Stoker and Karl Luger? His name, Adolf Hitler. In his book, The Holy Reich, Richard Stiegman Gall describes Hitler's proficiency at mixing Christian piety with Nazi nationalism. Hitler maintained that the movement's goal, according to uh, Richard Stiegman Gall, who's a history professor, uh, Hitler maintained that the movement's goal was to translate the ideals of Christ into deeds. The movement would complete the work which Christ had begun but could not finish. Hitler proclaimed the centrality of Christ's teachings for the movement. Here's what Hitler said. We are the first to exhume these teachings through us alone, the Nazis. And not until now do these teachings celebrate their resurrection. Mary and Magdalene stood at the empty tomb, for they were seeking the dead man. But we intend to raise the treasures of the living Christ. Hitler was not, not only read the New Testament, but professes in private to be inspired by the New Testament. Had there not been, think about this, 
Had there not been the influence of Christian nationalist and anti-Semitic pastor Adolf Stoker, there may have never been the, meteor- the, the rise to popularity of Karl Luger. And if there was no Karl Luger, mayor of Vienna, it's reasonable to say young Adolf Hitler may have never embraced either anti-Semitism or Christian nationalism. And the question is, was Hitler a Christian? And my answer is no. But he used Christian rhetoric and symbols. He was, he was a master at this. He used Christian rhetoric and symbols and mixed them with Nazi political ideology. And today, Christian nationalism is raising its idolatrous head once again. The January 6, 2021 riot, the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., is indicative of where Christian nationalism is headed. David French, a, a, a friend and an evangelical, uh, he writes in the dispatch, he called the riot a violent Christian insurrection. In the crowd, people carried crosses Jesus saved banners and Christian flags. As they stormed the Capitol, the crowd blew shofars as if they were marching around the walls of Jericho. They had pictures of Jesus with MAGA hats as if Jesus is committed to a political American ideology. And so they were proclaiming that they were like the Israelites who blew ram's horns to bring down the wall around Jericho. Like Stoker, Luger, and Hitler, American Christian nationalists are, in the words of Paul D. Miller quoted earlier, taking Christian symbols, rhetoric, and concepts and weaving them into a political ideology that in itself is a form of idolatry. Now is a moment for Christians to connect the patterns of history that make it clear that Christian nationalism is not Christian at all. And before them, before they themselves become part of the idolatrous legacy of the three Christian nationalists who destroyed the world entire. And so whenever I talk about these issues, about Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, how they mastered the mixing of Christian piety with political ideology, I always get pushback from Christians who will say, well, Hitler was a neo-pagan, he was a Satanist. The Nazis were delving into the occult and they were not Christian. And I would agree, all of that is true. But remember, Christian nationalism is not Christian. And Hitler was raised Catholic, Himmler was raised Lutheran, evangelical pastors for the most part across Germany in those days embraced the Christian nationalism of the Nazi party. But remember, does this mean they were Christian? No, they were pagans. But they used Christian symbols and rhetoric in order to deceive the masses. And I would say the same thing is happening today. And we'll catch this on the other side of the break. And we'll talk about what pastors were begging the Nazis to do. We'll see you on the other side. Hi, I'm Aaron Free, president of Israel Team Advocates. There's an alarming decline today in the support of Israel among U.S. evangelical millennials ages 18 to 29. A May 2021 survey administered by the Barna Group shows that between 2018 and 2021, favorable support for Israel has been cut in half from 75% to 35% among evangelical millennials 
in the United States. If this trend continues, evangelicalism will be anti-Israel in just a few short years. And remember that young Christians today will be the leaders of tomorrow. Israel team recently conducted interviews with students at a major evangelical university concerning their understanding of the Holocaust. The answers were troubling. To the first question, what was the Holocaust? Half of the students did not know. To the second question, who was Adolf Hitler? Again, only half of the students had knowledge enough to connect him to the Jewish genocide. In the remaining questions, we found a surprising, breathtaking, really, lack of historical understanding of the murder of six million Jews during the Holocaust. This example is indicative of a much larger problem. The study of the Holocaust is not prioritized in Christian primary, secondary, and higher education. And there's so much more that we can do. You can help Israel Team today by going to israelteam.org and clicking the donate button and your tax-deductible gift today will help us in pushing back against this growing narrative of anti-Israelism within the evangelical millennial community. So go to israelteam.org and stand with us today. We're building a bridge for the coming generation, and it's so important that we build that bridge. So help us today at israelteam.org. That's israelteam.org. This is Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back, and we're talking about Christian nationalism. I know this is a heavy subject, but I think we all need to come to terms with this idolatry and, and what it really is founded upon. It is not founded upon the Word of God. It is a political ideology. And so what were the German pastors begging the Nazis for? And the answer is, remember that the majority of evangelical churches throughout Germany, the majority of Catholic churches throughout Germany, they embraced the Christian Social Party. They embraced National Socialism of the Nazis, uh, who were mixing Christian piety with Nazi ideology. And so one pastor after the next uh, begged the Nazis to take down that they could take down the crosses from their pulpits and hang the uh, the swastikas and so finally the nazis gave in and said yes and so churches all across germany so committed to christian nationalism is they hung swastikas from their pulpits and the outside of their churches here's another quote by richard stegman gall who's the associate professor of history at kent state university and he's written this fascinating book entitled the holy reich and and you should pick up this book it's very very interesting so stegman gall makes a historically accurate and detailed argument that the nazi third reich saw itself as a conservative christian movement and again uh, you may push back at that and say, well, they weren't Christians. I agree with you. They weren't Christians, but they saw themselves. They used Christianity and Christian piety uh, to deceive the masses into believing their goals were really uh, Christian-centered. Here's what Stegman Gall says. Christianity in the final analysis did not constitute a barrier to Nazism. Quite the opposite for many of the subjects of the study the battles waged against Germany's enemies constituted a war in the name of Christianity. Nearly all the Nazis surveyed here believed they were defending good by waging war against evil, fighting God 
fighting for God against the devil, for German against the Jew. They were convinced that their movement did not mean the death of God, but the preservation of God. Two main currents of religious thought, each with their internal nuances and variations, existed in the Nazi movement. One of them, positive Christianity, proclaimed that Nazism was comparable with, even derived from, varieties of Christian ideology. Positive Christianity suggested that Nazism was predicated on a Christian understanding of Germany's ills and their cure. In the eyes of these Nazis, the Jew was the enemy of Christianity as well as the enemy of the Jewish people. So many Christian leaders in Germany had the same anti-Semitic leanings as Hitler. Gerard Kittle, and if, if a young person today goes to seminary, they're still uh, required to buy Kittle's works of the New Testament. And Gerard Kittle was the German theologian who edited the theological dictionary of the New Testament. His works are still standard reading for many seminary students today. And sadly, though, Kittle was a committed anti-Semite. In statements made by leaders of Kittle's stature, there is evidence of deep-rooted genocidal thoughts within the ranks of Germany's churchmen of that period. And so on June 1st, 1933, the leading Protestant theologian and biblical scholar Gerard Kittle gave a, a public lecture entitled Die Judenfreisch, which in German means the Jewish problem. And he spoke on this issue and said, there are four things that we can consider to deal with the Jews in Germany. There's about a half a million Jews in Germany. And one of uh, Kittle's conclusions was extermination. So we can exterminate 500,000 Jews. Now, this is an evangelical theologian in the early 1930s who was calling for the extermination of Jews uh, based on his Christian nationalism because he felt like we are in a war of Christianity against Jews. So for centuries, myths concerning Jews have flourished within the church. There's a secret Jewish conspiracy. The Jews seek to conquer the world. Jews are an evil sect who seek to do Christians harm. And so the theologians of Germany in those days were um, instrumental in, in leading the church into this nationalistic fervor in order to deal uh, with the Jews. The majority of German evangelical Protestant pastors and Catholic hierarchy held to an anti-Semitic replacement theology, and 70 to 80% of Protestant pastors aligned themselves with the anti-Semitic German National People's Party. And so we see the same pattern happening today, especially when it comes, uh, you know, concerning Jews, that Christian nationalists, little by little, if you just watch the news, you'll see this. I see it every day of every week. The Christian nationalists are beginning to focus their attention on American Jews. They're beginning to call them out, and they're beginning to speak violence against them. So thankfully, not all evangelicals have embraced the surreal and bizarre beliefs of Christian nationalism. There are some of us who still value thinking for ourselves. Christian nationalism is a religious cult. It is unchristian. 
but employs Christian concepts and discourse to deceive its followers. Those who serve up the Kool-Aid to the masses have sold out their Christian conscience to the seduction of power and position. And in many cases, the leaders of the Christian nationalist movement in America are not even Christian, but they realize, as the Nazis did, as Hitler did, that mixing religious idolatry with politics draws a crowd. At its core, Christian nationalism is a political ideology of protest. It's a revolt, some would say an insurrection, against anyone or any institution opposed to its fundamental belief that America's national identity must be forcefully made to be Christian, and it's a Christian's duty to persuade the government by force, if necessary, to return to its Christian heritage. But Christianity... And I I hope you agree with me on this. Christianity was never meant to be a political ideology, nor was the U.S. Constitution meant to become a Christian's rule for life and godliness, which many Christian nationalists, I've heard them say that, that the Constitution of the United States is our rule for life and godliness. On the contrary, Christianity finds its purpose not in protest or in politics or in power, but through loving justice and showing mercy, especially to the poor. And we are to be the salt and light in our generation as Christians. We are to minister to the needs of the poor. We've got to come back to the centrality of the gospel, that Jesus died according to the scriptures, that he was buried according to the scriptures, and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more the scriptures teach us it's not by might it's not by power but it's by the spirit of the living god we cannot forcefully legislate morality upon a nation we can't do it it's never worked in the past it will never work in the future Uh, remember the crusades where the church embraced this nationalistic fervor and with mixed it with political ideology and Hundreds of thousands of people were put to death in the name of Christ. Think of the forced baptisms of the Jewish people and the, and the forced conversions in the Middle Ages that if they would not convert, they were, they were burned alive in their synagogues. And so, again, this is not the role of the body of Christ. The, the body of Christ is called to live a peaceful and quiet life, to work with our hands, to have a good reputation uh, among outsiders. Remember Peter in, the, in his epistle. Peter said it was the time of Nero uh, was the emperor, and Nero was a crazed leader. And Nero uh, would take Christians, and he would light his gardens at night by pouring oil over Christians and, and crucifying them onto poles, and that's how he lit his gardens at night. He was uh, uh, a crazed uh, man. But Peter says in his epistle, honor the king. Pray for kings and all those authority and honor the king. When I was serving as a pastor during every presidential uh, uh, term, whoever it was, be they Democrat or Republican, I would stand in the pulpit every Sunday. I didn't turn the pulpit into a bully pulpit. And our church would pray for our leaders according to the Gospels, according to the epistles. We prayed for kings and all those in authority. And so um, it's, it's not too late. If, if you've embraced Christian nationalism, there's hope for 
the few thinking Christians left in the cult of Christian nationalism to escape and preserve their human freedom and dignity and come back to the centrality uh, and the heartbeat of the gospel message. Not saying that we shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't be patriotic. I'm a, I'm a patriot. I pray for my nation, but I will not embrace the idolatry of Christian nationalism. And we'll see you next time on Israel and You.